Welcome to the party, pal. Michael Duke's show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Streaming live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com. It is The Michael Dukes Show. Good morning and welcome to you Tuesday. Tuesday morning, first day of the week for me anyway. And uh, I feel much, I feel rejuvenated. I feel rejuvenated and good and, woo, man, what a nice, uh, what a nice weekend. Uh, got a chance to uh, go up to Fairbanks and broadcast the Open North American Championships, which was a fun time as always. And now we're diving into it here, uh, back into the saddle on this Tuesday after a Brief hiatus yesterday. Got a chance to sleep in a little bit and uh, get ready to uh, get ready to go. So, welcome to the program and thanks for coming in and joining us. Lots of stuff to cover today. Of course, it is Tuesday, and that means that it is going to be our weekly deep dive. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to dive into this with uh, Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, and he and I are going to talk about. Uh, the weekly top three, and on today's broadcast, we're going to be talking about the new spring revenue forecast from the Department of Revenue. We're going to talk about the new proposed spending from the Alaska legislature. You can already see how this is lining up and what they're planning on doing here. And then finally, how the Permanent Fund Corporation's um, Alaskan spending is shrouded in some mystery. And what does it mean for us here in the future? What is supposedly supposed to be a pol- politics-free body is uh, looking more and more like it's under the uh, under the onus or under pressure to become more politicized. And we'll talk about that with Brad Keithley here <clears throat> in, uh, in Hour 1. Then in Hour 2, we'll dive into it with Chris Story, who is our... Uh, uh, he's our positivity guru. That's what he is. He's the he is the all things positive. We're gonna get our little bit of a life coaching lesson from him, and uh, maybe just maybe we'll get him to comment on some of the things that are going on um, in uh, in politics around the world and uh, everything else. Now, first things first. Um, the one story that, of course, consumed most of the oxygen, and uh, granted, I. Even I heard about it up in Fairbanks. I was mostly unplugged from everything over the weekend, doing a lot of work there uh, out at the um, uh, out at the Dog Mushers Hall for the big broadcast. But even I heard about the fact that uh, Don Young, Dean of the House, passed away on Friday night at the age of eighty-eight, uh, the longest-serving House member in history. He. Uh, he is, he's left a big void to fill there. Now, this is something that we've talked about in the past. 
um, that my concern is that uh, Don, if you know, if he was thinking about this for the state of Alaska in the long term, that he should have been, um, you know, kind of grooming somebody to take it, take his place, and and get ready to, uh, you know, so so that there wouldn't be this gap or this hole. But that's just not how Don was built. He, um, you know, he it was his way or the highway, and he felt he was the best man for the job, and therefore. Nobody else ever really came up to snuff uh, on that case, and there was no shaping or forming or, you know, uh, apprenticing anybody into that position. So here's what we're left with: we're left with a decision. How do we do this? What you know? What goes on from here? Uh, well, what it's led to is a special election. Um, this is going to be a well. It's going to be a hot mess. Um, we are going to be diving into this uh, here over the uh, over the next couple months. We're going to see exactly what happens here. Um, there's going to end up being a special election, and that is going to uh, uh, that's going to con- that's going to consume a lot of our time right now. So we've got a special primary election, which has been laid out by. Governor Dunleavy and other officials uh, yesterday, or on uh, Sunday, rather. Um, the special primary election will be held June the 11th. And then the special general election is going to take place August the 16th, which is the same day as the state's regular primary election. Now, to make things, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, to make these things even more convoluted, uh, they have to use the new election rules put together by ballot proposition number two, which include um, w- which include uh, the jungle primary and the ranked choice voting. Now, what makes this very interesting is because they've placed the special general election uh, on the same day as the state's regular primary election, you're going to have a combination of both. You'll have the jungle primary on the ballot for all the primary, um, uh, for all the primary uh, uh, that are taking all primaries that are taking place on August the 16th, and you'll have a ranked choice ballot for the special election at the same time. Which means, for example, if you want to vote for um, you know Christopher Constant or Nick Beggage. You'll actually end up voting for them twice, but on one ballot, you can only vote for one person, and on the other ballot, it's a ranked choice ballot, so you'll have to rank them all running for the same spot. I mean, it is going to be a hot freaking mess. I could tell you that for nothing. Now, whoever is the winner of the special general election will be impaneled into Congress, apparently by early September is what they're thinking. Um, the expected official announcement of the official day is supposed to come today from the Dunleavy administration. But, um, yeah, this is, this is, this is going to be crazy what's coming back from this. Now, it's also going to be a... Um, it's going to be a, a mail-in election. The special primary in June is going to be a mail-in election because they don't think they have enough time to get it all organized in the precinct. So every registered voter in Alaska is going to be mailed a ballot. 
and we're going to uh, have to vote that way in the special primary in June, which <clears throat> is going to, again, be the jungle primary. So, I mean, we're going to have to see. And, yes, it may be more It may be more um, candidates than we initially expected. Of course, as I mentioned, you've got Christopher Constant, the uber-progressive, and Nick Begich, the Republican, who announced months ago that he was running for uh, Don Young's seat, um, they were most of the uh, they were most of the, that, and there was an independent named Greg Bresselford, uh, um, and all of those they seem to be you know the big players in this game. But now, nope. Now it's looking like it's probably, according to some of the talking heads at the ADN, got a hold of, including. Uh, um, political strategist uh, Jim Lotzfeld, that uh, there could be with this with this short thing and the and the special election and everything else, he said there could be up to twenty candidates. He said he'd already spoken to three or four people who are going to run for young seat in the special election who contacted him shortly after the congressman's death. So I mean, it's going to be a few days to see who's going to run into it. But, you know, there's names coming around like Al Gross. Um, is, uh, there was a Meta DeWitt, who's a Klingit traditional healer. She said she's been approached and asked if she would run for the House. Uh, Sarah Palin was asked on Newsmax uh, whether she would run. She didn't, she didn't, uh, she didn't rule that out. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people all of a sudden that uh, could be running um, could be running uh, for this office coming down in June for the for the for the jungle primary. Now remember, um, <clears throat> remember that the June uh, uh, special uh, uh, the June special primary will feature again the jungle primary feature, which means the top four vote getters will then pass on to the ranked choice voting portion of the special general election, which will also be held during the regular primary. I mean, if this could not be any more confusing, I don't know what it is. Now, I understand it has to happen. It has to be done. And it probably makes sense to have the, the election on the same day as your other election. But I'm just saying, man, of all the times for this to have happened, this is the worst because of, uh, again, all the things and the, and the uncertainty and the you know, just the educational component of trying to explain to people what ranked choice voting uh, is and what it looks like. Um, it is definitely not a uh, definitely not a, a time for us to uh, to be to to get all jacked up and excited about it. All right. Um, so that's uh, that's that's the big news. That's the big news of the weekend. It's it's kind of frustrating, but that's uh, that's where it is. Um, it is it is what it is right now. Palin said she would be glad to have a seat. Says Rick. Well, what she actually said was, um, let me quote it because it's quoted in the paper here. Um, Palin's actual words were, and I quote, she said they will have to see how this process is going to go, quote unquote, and the replacing young quote would be an honor. Unquote. So, yeah, I mean, she'd be glad to have a seat. That pretty much sums it up. So, two other co-chairs of Young's re-election campaign have also been suggested as potential candidates. 
but they said Monday that their focus was elsewhere. I mean, this is just like, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, even Josh Revac has been, uh, uh, Josh Revac has been quoted as, uh, uh, as a potential in there as well. So, uh, anyway, this, it's just, again, a hot mess, a hot stinking mess. And, uh, I think 2022 will go down in history books as one of the weirdest election seasons we've ever seen. Maybe because it's only the, you know, only the first of many that go under ranked choice voting, or maybe it becomes some kind of train wreck that allows us to change it in the future. I don't know. But I know that it is going to be, um, I know it's just going to be messy, messy, messy. That's for sure. All right, we're coming up on the break. And uh, so that means Brad Keithley is going to be coming up with us in just a moment. We're going to talk with him about the, uh, the weekly top three again including the discussion on the new spring revenue forecast, what the legislature is proposing to spend all that money on, and how the Permanent Fund Corporation's Alaskan spending plan is kind of shrouded in mystery. What does that mean for the future as they try to politicize that whole position? We'll continue this discussion and have more with Brad Keithley, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, in the break right now. Getting ready to uh, getting ready to, to pound into this thing here with Brad Keithley. Let me... Let me kill some of the overhead processes here, so we don't uh, so we don't lose anything. All right, let's uh, let's let's get on with this with Brad Keithley, shall we? We'll get him all connected first, and uh, we'll uh, we'll start there. We'll start there and see what it uh, see what it looks like here. If we can get this. Uh, go ahead, open, open, open. All right. We're gonna get the uh, get the Zoom call with Brad's uh, set up here. Let's do that. Okay, we're gonna jump into this here. Brad is getting everything connected, and we will get a fresh start here this morning. Look at that. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Good morning sir. Mike. How are you? I am awake, awake and ready. Awake and ready. That's all. Uh, that's all we could ask for. All right, you did a you did a good job on uh, on summarizing all of the uh, all of the election stuff. I, I sort of want to capture that and go well, back and study it later. Well, I mean, you look at it and it's going to be so convoluted. I mean, I understand that that you know you got a finite you got a finite window to work with, and I understand the the sense of trying to hold the two elections on the same day. But I could, I mean, I I talk to people on the street and they are so confused about what's coming up. All I can think of is. What a hot brown mess that's going to be. I mean, it's all I can think of right now. It's, uh, it's you said one thing I hadn't focused on, which was in the in the August primary, we've got in the in the August election, we'll have both ballots, and on one ballot you only vote for one, and on the other ballot you vote for four. That's yeah. that's going to be 
That's what that, I'm saying. That's gonna that's gonna be confusing even to me. No, no, exactly. I mean, on the you got the regular pro, well, and you'll be voting for both candidates. So if you know, for example, you know, Nick Begich, Chris Constant, Al Gross, whoever's on the on the primary, those top four vote getters will then be in the August election primary. So you have to vote on vote on them in the special general ballot, and you'll have to vote for only one in the special. A jungle or in the regular jungle primary so i mean it it it, i know it's just my brain hurts just thinking about it i mean people are going to be so confused um i mean there's gonna this is this is almost like murkowski's write-in right i mean there's gonna have to be cards that you that you take into the well you don't well yeah you take into the you take into the ballot or you take whatever the hell wherever the hell you vote you're yeah. going to have to have cards that sort of explain all this. Well, so, yeah, somebody's campaign is going to have to mail out a bunch of cards that, you know, flyers that look like a card that say, here's what the ballot will look like for the special general and for the regular primary. I mean, they, you know, that's what it's going to have to do. It's going to be, yeah, I mean, my, like I said, my head hurts just thinking about all the, uh, all the, the woe that's about to come down on that. It's going to be very interesting. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, meanwhile, I guess, are you ready to dive into the weekly top three? I am. Okay, good. Well, I'm full of vim and vigor. I had a three-day weekend, and I just don't know what to do with myself this morning. So we're going to jump into this hole on the line, Brad. I will be back to you here in just a moment, and we will uh, we'll get you uh, all squared away. So hold the line for just a second here. Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, let me go back here and see what uh, – some of the, some of the comments in the chat room. The ranked choice voting system is going to be a disaster. I still don't understand it. Um, somebody said Christopher Constant. Hell no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, gross equals gross. I mean, that's the thing though. I mean, if we had twenty candidates come into the gen or the uh, primary, uh, the special primary coming up, what a wow, what a mess it was going to be. And you had Sarah Palin on top of that and everything else. Uh, oh man. Uh, all right, lay us honest. Lay it, lay it honest, Brad, is what some of the folks are saying out there. Rank choice voting makes it easy for the dark money to cheat. I mean, rank choice, it's it's gonna be it's what we're gonna have to deal with this year at least, maybe if not more. So you best get ready for it. All right, uh, let's jump into this, folks. Here we go. The Michael Duke show. Like and share this video, like and follow the show page, subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. Let's get back to it. Here we go. Common sense radio. All right, uh, we're ready to dive into this and get uh, get down to it. Roll up our sleeves and start talking about all the things that are happening uh, out there in the world. The weekly top three uh, with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He joins us this morning to, uh, well, talk about all the hot news that's going on and all the hot issues out there. We were just talking about the... Uh, the potential for what this is going to mean for the the voting system. And both Brad and I are both shaking our heads, scratching our heads going, wow, I don't even know exactly how this is all going to work out, but it's going to be a mess, Brad. Well, you, uh, you captured it in the, in the opening segment. So anybody who wants to understand this, I think should go back to your opening segment. I, I mean, you've hit on things that I hadn't thought of, which is, which is on the, on the primary, the regular primary day in August, 
you'll be voting twice for congressional candidates, but on one ballot, you only vote once. And on the other ballot, you'll vote for ranked choice voting. You'll vote, you'll have four votes to, to spread out. And um, that's and just going to be impressive to keep well, that all in your mind. And you're going to be voting the, for the, the same ballot. people twice, right? Because you're going to be voting for people on the special general ballot and you'll be voting for the same people on the regular primary ballot because they'll both be in this. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine what it's going to look like. It's going to, it's going to be messy for sure. All right, well, let's well, start. I, 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 people need to keep listening to you because I think you've got it straight. So that's a just just keep uh, keep keep hammering in what it, what it is we're going to be doing. All right, well, let's uh, let's dive into the weekly top three and talk about first of all. You kind of teased this last week before everything came out, but the Department of Revenue has put out the new spring revenue forecast, and we knew, of course, everybody was uh, waiting with bated breath to see how much money was going to be there. Uh, and the new spring forecast is out. You're going to give us your hot take on it. Well, the spring forecast uh, was uh, uh, released last Tuesday was pretty consistent with what I think I had expected um, in, in terms of uh, in terms of its major parts. Uh, I look at it. Uh, the, the, the big two things that people look at it for immediately are the price forecast um, and the production forecast. And the price forecast was in line with. Uh, what the futures market had been telling us for uh, a few weeks leading up to the publication of the spring forecast. Uh, uh, prices are higher uh, than certainly in the fall forecast uh, currently, but we're still in backwardation. And so the prices of future years uh, goes down uh, from the from the current high price. And that was what the, the spring forecast was consistent with that. On the production side, the production was almost exactly the same as in the fall forecast. They didn't make any big changes on the production side that they had last year in the spring forecast. And I was curious whether they were gonna follow through with some with, with some more of that this time, but they didn't. Uh, there's some slight tweaking going on both in the current year, um, uh, in part because Alpine's been down due to the, the Conoco gas leak. Um, but there's also uh, some slight tweaking that goes on in the other years, but nothing nothing substantial on the production side. So that's, it's pretty consistent with what you saw, with what we saw in the, in the fall forecast. There's one other area that I look at uh, in the spring revenue forecast uh, that was, that, that is, you know, it always sort of brings back to mind what we're talking about. And that is the production tax credits. Uh, the spring forecast includes not only price and uh, uh, production, but it includes things associated with production like the production tax credits. And given the higher prices, the higher oil prices that uh, that the spring forecast uh, uh, projects, uh, the production, the production tax credits, the reimbursable production tax credits, the tax credits that we have yet to pay to the producers that were built up during the uh, during the 20 teens uh, production tax credit program, uh, reimbursable production tax credit program, those are getting paid out. So. To some degree, the it's it's projecting higher expenses, higher spending, because those production tax credits that are paid out over the next three years or so uh, come out of the um, uh, come out of the uh, uh, have to be spent. They come out of the out of the revenues. Um, there's been a, there was there's been what I think is some unfair criticism uh, of the price projections when the uh, revenue forecast was published last week. Um, prices, the, the futures market went into a bit of a swoon for a period of time because uh, there was, a, there was a, a, an expectation in the futures market, or at least that was bouncing through the futures market, that Ukraine and Russia would settle their war uh, uh, certainly faster than they have over the course of the last week. 
Um, and so because of that, there was an expectation that maybe some of the hard, hard uh, decisions on Russian production wouldn't have to be made. Russian production might stay up. Uh, and as a result, uh, prices were sort of swooning uh, last week. That, right. that has worn off. Well, and, and when prices swoon, I mean, uh, some politicians some uh, on the partisan side, on the Democrat side, said, well, you know, maybe the Dunleavy administration hasn't been fair and honest and open and transparent with, uh, with these price forecasts. And, and one uh, representative, Ivy Sponholt, said, well, we're going to have to ground truth these. Yeah, uh, I love that. That means. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I mean, it's like it's like they haven't done this forecast the same way for 40 years, you know. But I mean, he, of course, must be cherry picking if that's the case. And we've got to really truth this out here. Yeah. And but but what's happened now is is we, we see that the Ukrainian war is continuing. Um, uh, a number of other things have happened in the past week. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia said yesterday that they're not going to be the central bank of oil production. I mean, up until now, from the 1970s until until uh, until yesterday, basically, Saudi said, we're always going to be there. We're always going to have the supplies. Don't worry about supplies, you know, we'll decide what the price is going to be, but but we'll always have supplies. And then yesterday, uh, in response to a terrorist attack on some of their facilities uh, from Yemen, uh, uh, Saudi suddenly said, we're not going to be the central bank of oil anymore. So I, so you've got a lot of factors that are going on that are affecting uh, the oil price. The Iranian talks, which would, which hopefully result in additional Iranian supplies, uh, coming back onto the market, those have sort of dragged on, so you're not quite sure of those. Uh, Halliburton, uh, Schlumberger, and uh, Baker Hughes, three major uh, oil field service companies, uh, which are which are vital to the operation of oil fields, they've all said that they're leaving uh, uh, Russian operations in various stages. Baker Hughes says they're done now, but Schlumberger and uh, and uh, and, and the other said that uh, they're going to you know, not take on any new projects, but that's going to affect oil production. I mean, that's what when they when they when those companies, when the oil field service companies abandoned Venezuela, that's when Venezuelan production started declining or plummeting. Um, so that's that announcement has been made in the meantime. The net effect is that oil prices are back up. I did oil prices this morning and they're back up uh, within uh, a, a single digit percentage points of where they were. Uh, at the time that the that the administration's revenue forecast came out, so I think I think their I think the administration's price forecasts are holding up. Well, and and so I guess spell out what this means for us because what we saw is we saw a, per, a previously projected one point two billion dollars in revenue. Uh, now we're looking at all over four billion dollars in revenue, uh, and they all have a plan on how they want to spend it. They all have a you know what they're what they're going to do with it. So what does the oil revenue forecast say to us for the coming, not just this next year, but let's say for the next five years? Well, it says it says that we're going to have high oil prices this year and high revenues this year. But again, uh, the oil prices, uh, the futures market is telling us that oil prices are in backwardation, that for various reasons, either demand destruction, uh, if, if, if high oil prices stay up, that there's going to be a, a restriction, there's going to be a demand response, demand's going to go down. Uh, which is going to bring price down or additional supplies will come come on uh, uh, shale or other supplies will come on which will which will bring increase supply and bring down price that way that there's going to be backwardation over the next over the next decade um, and so we are we are in an environment where because we weren't really prepared 
very well for uh, the, the full-blown recovery of demand coming out of COVID because we hadn't invested in supplies and, and aren't very, weren't very well prepared for supplies. We're in an environment where we're going to have very high oil prices uh, uh, over the next year and maybe over the next couple of years. But the market is telling us, the futures market is telling us there's going to be a market response either on the supply side or the demand side, or perhaps both, uh, that is going to, uh, going to bring prices back down. There's one thing uh, over the next five years, so this is going to bring revenues back down. There's one thing that is not included in the spring revenue forecast that I think is, is, is going to be relevant uh, to what the, uh, certainly over the next five years, over the next 10 years, relevant to how the, the legislature and the administration should be looking at the outlook, our fiscal outlet, outlook, and that's inflation. I mean, we've not had to talk about inflation for the past 20 years, 30 years. Um, it's, it's stayed fairly, fairly constant. Uh, or at a fairly low levels over that period of time. But now inflation is breaking out in a, in a way that is certainly noticeable and certainly starting to have uh, an impact. And so when you look at these higher oil prices and you look at, even though they're going to be in backwardation, you look at a continued oil price regime that is substantially higher than what we thought in the, uh, in the fall revenue forecast, you need to, you need to lay a, next to that, the inflation numbers that are coming out of that higher oil price regime, because inflation or oil prices are helping to drive inflation, um, and take that into account as you're looking at the, at the financial outlook. We've started publishing, th those who, who follow the Facebook page or follow the, the Twitter page will see that we've started po uh, publishing inflation numbers uh, as part of our regular columns or our regular uh, chart series uh, on Sundays. Um, and inflation is, is, is the projections for inflation are substantially higher. That will have an impact on the budget. So as you look forward uh, and look at these higher oil prices uh, over the next five years, you need to also be setting side by side with that the inflation numbers and think about what that's going to be doing to spending levels uh, over that same period of time. And, and, and we're, sort of, we're sort of in a good spot right now in terms of high revenues because of the oil prices. Inflation really hasn't started affecting uh, costs yet, but you can see if you if you look out over the next five years, you can see a situation where you're going to have uh, if, uh, uh, oil prices sort of coming down from the current highs are on, inflation sort of going up, uh, and um, and the same sort of fiscal stress that we've had over the last decade, the same sort of fiscal stress uh, uh, reemerging uh, uh, within that within that time period. But 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 it's a transitory inflation right i mean it's <laughs> sorry uh thank you brian for that in the chat room um all right well let's uh, transition over to number two um uh i guess we could just do the tease and we'll go to break a little early here but number two is hey we got all this money what are we going to do with it the alaska legislature knows exactly what they want to do with it and it ain't good for regular i think average alaskans in the long run give me the tease no they want to go wild with it i mean the, so the House, uh, the House Finance Committee currently has the operating budget um, uh, before it. Uh, it sort of uh, uh, put the operating budget aside until they got the spring revenue forecast last week. Uh, they sort of were digesting the spring revenue forecast. Uh, amendments to the budget were due uh, last Friday. They did put out a, a, a committee substitute two, a second committee substitute uh, that sort of gobbled up all of the six, the six billion. In revenue, what they did was they put another uh, 1.2 billion 
uh, into uh, in, into uh, education by forward funding uh, next year's education. It's a it's a way to do a savings, a, a sort of a designated right. savings account with with uh, with uh, 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 with education funds. Um, but that uh, that's just the beginning, the sort of the. Uh, the, the 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 first ripple in, in what I think we're going to see over the course of this week in terms of amendments, proposed amendments to the House budget and or in the Finance Committee and then get it on the floor and amendments there. Uh, we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about on the spending side. All right. Well, we're going to continue with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Don't go anywhere. We will be back with more. We're going to hit on that spending and, of course, the education component of it. You can't believe that newspaper starts out with a story about how sad it is that we hate teachers and children and i mean it's it's so <laughs> sad uh we're gonna be back with brad keithley in just a moment the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio Regularly heard on American radio. All right, we're in the break uh, with Brad Keithley, and uh, we're going to dive into this here. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's. I read this story, Brad, um, for you know talking about the spending, and the whole first you know third of the story is how this teacher just doesn't know what they're going to do. They've closed down schools and they're doing it and everyone hates us. And of course, they don't talk about the fact that, you know, school enrollment has dropped precipitously. And, uh, you know, we've uh, we've underfunded the, the the maintenance of these buildings for years and all this kind of stuff. And it's all about how we just we literally the, imp- the imputation here is that, of course, we hate the children and uh, we hate that we hate the schools. And why why would we not want to make the children our future? Uh, and everything else. That's the tone that's been set by this article from the very beginning. Well, and we're going to see, we're going to see that over the course of this week as the House uh, finance amendments uh, are put forward, and we'll see it over the course of uh, over the course of next week when it goes on the floor, either late later this week or next week when it goes on the floor. We're going to see. I mean, the university. We're going to see people come out and say, "Oh, the university needs more money. We strangled them for you know several years, and now we need to go back in. And we need to fund the university." And we're going to see. You know, we're going to see the uh, uh, the the K through 12, and we're going to people uh, on the capital side. We're going to see discussions of uh, of uh, oh, we need capital spending. We haven't had capital spending for all these, notwithstanding the fact we got all these federal funds coming in, right? Uh, but we we haven't had capital spending for all these years. We need capital spending, and you know, we need to put and 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 here's here's the thing. I'll I'll talk about this more when we get back on the air. But here's the thing that is being set up. It's all against the PFD. It's the PFD on one side uh, against against all of these spending categories uh, on on the other side, um, and you know everybody's saying, "Oh, we don't need that much of the PFD. Take take a portion of it over there." And it's uh, I, I think that's entirely the wrong way of thinking about this. Uh, but again, I'll talk about that when we get back on the air. And uh, let's see. Uh, of course, there's more squawking about the. Uh the oil taxes and the oil taxation and giveaway. And you and I have talked about that several times here on the program. And, and we've, we've, 
we breached over that. There's plenty of different ways where we could help generate new revenue in the state. And yes, changing the oil taxation is one of them. In fact, you were an opponent of the last go around of the oil tax scheme, uh, a very vocal opponent of it. Uh, you and I both were proponent, proponent of the uh, of the of the ballot prop, uh, whatever, what whichever prop that was at the time. I think it was prop one at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean that we needed to get more that there's still more money on the table. I mean, there, that's the thing. There's money on the table in a variety of different ways. Oil taxes is just one of them, but that definitely is still there. There's still definitely some money on the table on that. Yeah, but I. But here's the thing, Michael. We won't even the, even the administration and even the Democrats won't go af, won't go after the one absolute low hanging fruit on the tree in terms of oil taxes. When Hillcorp bought BP, Hillcorp came in with a different corporate tax structure um, and, and, and substituted that because it was, you know, buying BP's facilities. It substituted its corporate form for the BP corporate form. That results in what's now projected to be a $90 million difference uh, uh, between just over, just over the corporate form. Right. No change in the field, no change of investment, no change in anything else. Just a difference in the corporate form is resulting in $90 million less uh, in, in oil taxes. That is a is an easy change. You're just saying, Hillcorp, you need to pay the same taxes uh, that BP paid, same corporate taxes that BP paid if uh, if BP was still uh, still in the field. The legislature won't even address that. I don't think there's even a bill that's been heard, uh, certainly in this year's session, uh, about about changing that. The, the administration doesn't mention it. So even before we get to changing oil taxes. I mean, there's $100 million, 90, 90 to $100 million sitting on the table right there in just fixing the Hillcourt glitch, and they won't even do that. So it's, I mean, if they won't even, if they won't even touch that, I'm not sure how we ever uh, uh, talk about getting, uh, getting uh, oil, taxes, uh, oil taxes fixed. Uh, I'm going to start the segment off here in just a second here with, uh, you know, we, we just talked about how the first third of this article or whatever uh, you know, is is the is the poor, poor, pitiful us cry from the teachers uh, on this. But I am going to start off with Ivy Sponholtz's quote, which uh, where she basically says, "Oh, that they're, they're still all about the thirteen hundred dollar energy relief check," which she stressed is quote not a dividend. They want to be very clear on that, Brad. They do not want anything that even resembles <laughs> a dividend to cross their, you know, a a full dividend to cross their way. Uh, let alone even a half of it or a quarter of it. I mean, it's 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 pretty interesting to see. That, you know, you could you can watch it. You could see it if you if you're educated on these things. You can watch exactly what they're doing and know exactly what they're doing. But the average Alaskan just you know just tuning in for one hot second is like, oh, really? Okay, I you know they just they can't see it. It's driving me crazy. All right, um, so we're 15 seconds out. Hold the line, Brad Keithley. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Please like and share the show. Like and follow the show page. Hit subscribe. Ring the bell. Let's do it. Here we go. Okay, we're finishing up uh, here. Final segment with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're into two of the weekly top three. Uh, the second one is, of course, we got all this revenue now, 
And uh, but the legislature, they've already planned a million ways to spend it, including, oh, they're going to cut us out this thirteen hundred dollar energy relief check on top of our what's proposed to be, I guess, a thirteen hundred dollar dividend. Uh, Ivy Sponholtz is quoted in the paper as saying, oh, no, no, she wants to stress that this this other thirteen hundred is not a dividend in any way, shape or form. I mean, it's like dividend is almost a dirty word. Uh, for them, Brad. I mean, this is this is you could see exactly where this is going. All for me and none for thee. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really disappointing. I mean, it's it's disappointing to hear it from Ivy. It's disappointing to hear it from uh, from the Democrats who you know will repeatedly tell us they're there to protect middle and lower income Alaska families, working Alaska families, and yet what they're doing, they're 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 in the vanguard in the in the in the front of the parade. Uh, trying to use the revenue measure that has the largest adverse impact uh, on middle and lower income Alaska families to uh, to fund government, uh, it's a it, it's a it's a sad 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 situation I think in terms of you know what uh, what what Alaska has fallen to in terms of in terms of how they're how they're looking at these things, but but what we've got what we're going to have uh, what we've already got is we're going to have a bunch of special interests K through twelve the university. The construction industry. Uh, there will be others uh, coming out of the woodwork and saying, "Oh, we got all this money, uh, and and you know we've been shorted over the over the last few years. We haven't had you know inflation adjustments to K through 12. We haven't had uh, you know the university's been shorted with all these cuts that the that the governor did. Uh, construction has been shorted because you know we haven't had uh, capital budgets, um, and we all need to be made whole." Uh, all these special interests will be coming up and saying we need to be made whole uh, through um, through uh, uh, you know various increases or various uh, 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 grants uh, to our particular industry to uh, to uh, to make us whole. And they will all have uh, uh, lobbyists in Juno. They will all uh, be paying for uh, uh, plane tickets down to Juno for their for members of their various interest group to go up in front of the. House committee, House Finance Committee, the, the House members, the Senate Finance Committee, when it gets over there, all to plead their case about their particular uh, their particular uh, 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 need uh, and 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 have their sob story about why their need is greater than than anything else. On the other side, the only thing that's sitting on the other side, and and this is, you know, I I, I take I, I I get upset when I see you know a a, a, a headline like uh, the one on the Nat Hertz article that says Alaska's new oil windfall pits bigger PFDs against savings schools and maintenance backlog. The only thing that sits on the other side from all these special interests is the PFD, and and basically it's give me give me my special interest money and just take it out of the PFD. Give me my special interest money and take it out of the PFD. Right. And and when you get when you get statements like Ivy that says, oh, we're going to do we're going to do a a, a a energy relief check. Don't think that's part of the PFD an energy relief check um, uh, this year. Um, basically, what they're doing is setting up for a situation where they're going to increase all this spending. They're going to do like a, a effectively a permanent increase in K through 12 spending or a permanent increase in the university spending or a permanent increase what effectively be a permanent increase. Um, in the capital budget. But remember that I talked about in the first segment, I talked about oil prices being in backwardation, that 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 future oil prices are going down. We've got inflation coming up. So there's going to be a tighter fiscal situation coming up in, in, in the near term. 
And, and what you see from Ivy is setting that up, saying, we're going to give you an energy relief check as sort of a cover while we cut the PFD, propose to cut the PFD down to a 25, 75 POMB uh, uh, PFD. And 25, uh, uh, 75 is about, is about cutting the PFD in a third, a th in three. I mean, it's about, it's about cutting the uh, PFD by two thirds down to, down to about a third what, of what it would be under the statute. So you've got, so they're trying to set up this situation where you've got all these special interest players coming in, you know, uh, wanting money, taking it at the expense of the PFD. Ivy, try, Ivy and others trying to set it up where they're going to cut the PFD permanently to set up the ability to fund these special interests uh, on an ongoing basis, even as uh, oil prices decline. And I think, I think it's horrible. I mean, you, what they're doing, just, just focus on the fundamentals. What they're doing is they're going to tax middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts, tax lower and middle income Alaska families permanently in order to pay off these special interests. If we think as a state that we ought to be paying off these special interests, everybody, all Alaska families, including the top 20%, ought to be part of, uh, are, ought to be part of contributing to it. But the way they're doing it, the way the legislature is doing it by taking it out of the PFD, they're bypassing the top 20%. They're essentially saying, look, we're going to take it out of the PFD, which is going to hurt middle and lower income Alaska families, trivial impact on the top 20%. We're going to increase spending and we're going to do it through PFD cuts. So the top 20% is sitting there going, yeah, we don't care. I mean, right. they're going to take it, they're going to take it out of the PFD. So, so what do we care? And, you know, some of us have jobs, have state government jobs, have university jobs, have K through 12 jobs. Uh, and that's going to be great for us. They're going to increase spending on our things or, you know, capital construction jobs. They're going to increase spending on our things, but we're not going to have to pay for it. It's a, it, it's a, it is the worst possible fiscal policy that I think you possibly could have well, uh, in a situation like this. And one thing you just kind of brushed on on the edge is, again, these are short-term. These projections are saying for the next two years it'll be well, but we don't know. It could drop back off again uh, in the future. Uh, and they're talking about increasing things now that would become permanent. Yeah. So they're talking about spending that we have a flush surplus in the short term. And so they're talking about creating a new funding mechanism in the short term with this short term money that then becomes long term and increases the overall cost of the state going forward, regardless of how much money we have. Yeah. And that's I mean, and that's why I mean, to some degree, to some degree, you got to give the, the, them credit because they're thinking long term and they're saying, well, we got to get the PFD debt. We got to get revenue sources to fund all this additional stuff that we're that we're, that we're committing to. And so to some degree, you got to give them credit because they're thinking long term when they say, we've got to get the PFD down to 2575 so that in, in future years, you know, we'll have enough revenue, but we will have cut the PFD enough that we'll have the revenue to pay for it. So they're, they're thinking long term about how to pay for it when they talk about cutting the PFD to 2575. Uh, uh, but, but they're thinking about, you know... <laughs> They're thinking about doing it on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts, as opposed to revenue structures where all Alaska families right. uh, can contribute to that sort of spending.
Well, and I love the fact that they say, well, education funding hasn't increased in seven years. No, we haven't touched the BSA in seven years. That doesn't mean that education funding hasn't gone up, just that the base student allocation hasn't been changed. Not that that would matter because, again, that could get consumed all in the overhead and everything else. But then they go on to talk about how, well, you know, we've got other priorities, including education and a $2 billion maintenance backlog that's been neglected during tight budget years. No, it hasn't been neglected. It's been ignored. They prioritized where the money was to be spent. They took money that was supposed to be used for maintaining state assets, and they pointed it at another program that they thought had a higher priority or was more important to them, leaving this backlog. This is nothing. This is not, you know, this is not a neglect of, oh, we could have, should have. They had the opportunity, and they chose not to, and now it becomes a crisis. Well, sure. It becomes a crisis because, you know, they've got to have a rationalization for why they're cutting the PFD. And so it's a and so it's a crisis because, you know, we, we've got to we've got to do this. And now we got and we got to cut the PFD to do it. It's a uh, it's a it, it, this state is is driven so much by special interests. And, you know, the fact that the capital is in Juneau, the fact the capital is isolated, that contributes to it. But this state is driven so much by special interests, and we're seeing that come out of the woodwork again uh, now that uh, now that we've got short-term revenues, um, and we see uh, we see you know people trying to you know set up for for well, long-term spending increases yeah, on the it, backs of short-term revenues, and so the legislature is saying, well, we got to take it out of someplace. And we're going to take it out of middle and lower well, Alaska. And you could definitely like see, you could see the the effect of special interest when some of the Republicans said, okay, well, we could talk about opening up the BSA, but we've got to put some metrics in there. We've got to put some performance standards in there to show that you're doing a good job. And the hand fluttering that went on immediately, well, you can't do that. We can't do that. I mean, hey, you want the extra money? We want to show that we're not going to be in the bottom of the 50 state comparative every time. And we want something more for the money, and they're they're just oh we can't do that you can't that you can't put a price on that kind yes we can, but that's exactly what's happening. The special interests are saying no no no. But Brett. Michael, but Michael, think about that for the moment. What what's happening then is that uh, uh, the Republicans are buying into the increased spending. Yes, they want to put conditions on it. But the Republicans are buying into the increased spending no, uh, right. uh, on that the, that the Democrats are arguing for. So right. it's, 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 I mean, it's stair-stepping on itself. The Democrats say right. we want increased spending. The Republicans say, well, you got to put conditions on it. And the Democrats say, well, you shouldn't have those conditions. But uh, if it gets us the increased spending, I, it's just, I, it, right. it, permeates, right. it permeates the entire situation down there. All right, we got it. We got a minute here, Brad. Uh, so let's finish up on this, and then we'll take number three during the break. Okay. Well, it's just I. Uh, we're going to see this over the course of the next week with House finance amendments. We're going to see this over the course of the week with, uh, with or over the course of the next week with House budget, and then it's on to the Senate. We'll be talking about this a lot on the show. It's just, but it's going up, folks. Um, and that isn't the direction it should be going. I love how they keep saying, "Oh, we co- we couldn't save as much as we wanted to during the last 50... 50- these are the same people in there that were spending willy-nilly. They're the ones that drain the savings account talking about savings. I just find that so ironic. It's amazing. Brad Keithley, uh, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we got more coming up. We're going to continue here. Hour two is dead ahead. We'll open up the phone lines at the top and then take it up with Chris Story. 
uh, in the uh, bottom of the hour. Back with more in just a moment. The Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to advocate for those legislators who were saying that. I'm just saying that even when they seem to cross the line to come to compromise, even then the special interest get does the hand waving freak outery. You know what I mean? Uh, even then, you could see the 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 effect of special interests. Like, well, we want the money, but we want no strings attached. We want we yeah, yeah. you know we we can't do any of you can't demand that we do that. That's that's inhuman. That's cruel. Yeah, exactly. And but but the the problem with that is you sort of get sucked in, right? I mean, my my problem with that is you sort of get sucked in. You go, well, you know, I might consider that, but I'd have all these conditions. I'll put all these conditions on it. And you know, and and I've been in the back rooms of 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 these discussions when uh, when somebody says that. I mean, you go, all right, we got them. <laughs> we we've right. got the money. Now we're just negotiating over the terms right. of, of, of what it's going to take uh, to get that money. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I understand why the minority is doing that. I understand why the Republicans do that. But think of what you're doing. I mean, once you enter into that converse, conversation and say, yes, but we need all these conditions on it. The yes has just, you know, started you down the road of the, right. of the increased spending. Exactly. All right, well, let's move on to number three quickly here, and that is the Permanent Fund Corporation's new Alaska investment portfolio. It's got a lot of questions. Uh, the thing is, you know, is it politicizing the PFC, or is it, uh, you know, what's what's going on with that? What do you, what do you say? So James Brooks has a great article uh, diving down into the secrecy that's been surrounding uh, the investments being made by the Permanent Fund uh, in Alaska. Uh, there's been a lot of people who have have been saying that uh, uh, that you know the permanent fund has to be open about the investments. They have to tell us who they're investing in, so we can track who they're investing in and all of this sort of stuff. To to me, that's that's true, but it's it's the wrong point to 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 be objecting to what the permanent fund's doing. Permanent fund in Alaska, even if it's open and transparent, any investment by the permanent fund in Alaska. I think is 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 sending us down the wrong road. It is injecting permanent fund dollars into the Alaska economy. It is it is necessarily picking winners and losers. It's necessarily even if it's open and transparent, it's necessarily opening up the process uh, to political influence. I think in the in the decades before we got to this point, we had a very clear division. We had ADA, the Alaska Industrial and Development and Export Authority, Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. ADA invested in the state to try to bolster things in the state economy, to try to build up pieces of the state economy. The Permanent Fund Corporation was in an entirely different mission where it was just investing globally to to get the most dollars, to maximize the most dollars uh, in in terms of revenue, to build up the fund, to to build up earnings. And it stayed out of Alaska because ADA was in Alaska bolstering the Alaska economy. And the Permanent Fund Corporation didn't want to get caught in the mess of going into, you know, politically uh, uh, treacherous waters. I think the problem, the problem with the Permanent Fund investing in Alaska is not whether it's secret or not. I think there's just a fundamental problem with the Permanent Fund Corporation messing in the Alaska economy in the first place. I think it ought to stay with its traditional approach of just maximizing uh, earnings uh, someplace else and leave ADA uh, leave, leave Alaska investments and bolstering the Alaska economy to ADA. 
Ada may or may not do a good job. We can have a debate on that, but at least they're the at least they're the ones statutorily uh, uh, right uh, uh, set up to to do it. Um, and I think that's I think we ought to restrict uh, the Alaska government messing in the Alaska economy to just Ada. Uh, and focus on uh, focus on our governance governance of what uh, Ada does. Well, exactly. I mean, there's already again, they're the uh, political and and statutory mechanism to put that money in the state. Every time we you know get the permanent fund, uh, you know, to invest in Alaska specifically and force it to, that's where the politicization of the whole situation comes about. You know, that's when they pick winners and losers. That's when it becomes feasible. I mean, Bridget uh, uh, James Brooks makes a comment about well, if you've got some business that's invested in Alaska that has a bunch of people, but it's not but hired and working for them, but it's not economically feasible. And the permanent fund corporation wants to remove their funding. Now you've got people out of work. Does that become an issue? I mean, it really, again, politicizes the whole situation. Yeah, it's, there's a there's a piece in uh, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, uh, diapering the devil. It may be in another one of Hammond's books where he talks about the push that was on for the state to invest in a bunch of industry uh, built around Cook Inlet gas at one point. And, and Hammond resisted that, or investing state funds in, in, in building those industries. Hammond resisted that, saying, look, you know, we're, if we invest those funds outside, we're going to get, you know, whatever return the Permanent Fund Corporation is going to get. Uh, if we invest those funds in Alaska, yeah, we may build up some jobs for Alaskans, but we're going to have subpar uh, returns in Alaska. And that's, you know, w- when you say we're going to set aside a certain amount of funds to invest invest in Alaska, yeah, we're going to look for the same sort of returns. That may or may not happen. You know it's going to happen if you invest outside, right. but it may or may not happen when you invest inside. And again, we've got Ada, we've got somebody who's supposed to be investing to build up the Alaska economy. We ought to just stick with that and keep the permanent fund focused on maximizing returns without regard to building up any particular sector, uh, either elsewhere in the world or or in Alaska. Well, I think you get the last word on that for sure, but I, I think I agree with you. I think there's already, uh, we don't need any more of that uh, political largesse going out of there. We've already got 80 that can do all that stuff, and we don't need to see that. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, thank you so much for coming on board, my friend. As always, it's good to hear from you. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got to go. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show continues. Hour, uh, hour two with Chris Story is up next. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. 
We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Thanks for calling the call in line of the Michael Luke Show. Powered and sponsored by Freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Streaming live around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the internet and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Welcome back to the program and thanks for coming on board uh, hour two of our Tuesday edition of the program. Uh, If you're just joining us, we just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, uh, who uh, brought a lot of stuff to the plate today uh, to talk about with the new Department of Revenue forecast, the spending that the legislature is already laying out and showing us the direction that they want to go. And then we finished up actually in the top of the hour during commercial break with some of the folks on Facebook about the spending of the uh, permanent fund uh, corporation, their investments into Alaska and how that can be dangerous. Uh, and Brad's solution to that, which was the use of ADIA and some other things. You can go back and listen to all that on the podcast if you'd like. Podcasts are available every day on CastBox, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and of course, Spotify as well. Um, Today, we're going to open up the phone lines here in hour two and take your phone calls at 433-3150-433-3150. We'd love to to hear what you guys have to say and, uh, you know, sound off on this or anything else. We also talked about the fact with the passage of Don Young, uh, with his passing this last Friday, uh, it has left a real big, well, kerfluffle, I guess is the word, goat rope, I mean, cluster, I mean, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's going to be a hot mess going into this next summer. Uh, when they talked about, I think one of the headlines in the ADN reads something about the marathon election season. Uh, which is what it's going to be. It is going to be a marathon election season coming into uh, coming into this next year. After Don Young's death, Alaska's political world braces for a sea change and an elections marathon is the headline, uh, as it reads. Um, because what uh, what's going to happen is that there's going to be a special election, and that special election is going to be put on by the state. The state is already reporting that that special election is going to be a a full mail-in special election uh, with mail-in ballots uh, for the primary. And then the general, special general, will be held during the regular primary season. Now, to add confusion to this whole mess, it is the first year that we're going to be using the jungle primary and the ranked choice voting uh, systems in our elections and that means when you get your mail-in ballot, it will be for the jungle primary, and you will you will vote for only one candidate of that whole slate of electors in the for the for the vacant seat of uh, Don Young. Uh, and then in August, on the same day as the regular primary, you will have the special general election for that one seat. To make matters worse. You will also be voting in the regular primary for candidates for that seat to be then held in the general election in November. Does that make sense? Did I say that correctly? You'll have two ballots that you'll have to vote on on August the 16th. As it sits right now, this is the proposal by the governor's office. Uh, They're supposed to solidify it and clarify it today, but that was what they talked about yesterday. 
that the special primary would be on June the 11th via, via mail and that the special general election would be held on the same day as the regular primary on August the 16th. And so not only would you have the special election, special general election, which will be ranked choice voting, the top four vote getters from the previous June 11th jungle primary, you will also have the jungle primary for all offices, including Don Young's. So you'll have to vote for that candidate twice in the same election. Once for the special election seat, which is going to be held until whoever is voted in in the general is is impaneled. And I mean, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be crazy. So, again, you've got the jungle primary, which is basically it's a free for all. You've got all the candidates on one ballot and you get to vote for one person. And then the top four vote getters from the jungle primary move on to the regular ballot, which is now a ranked choice voting ballot where you have to vote for your top four picks out of that, where you have to, there's actually only four on there. So you have to rank them one through four in on that ballot. And so now you're going to have two ballots for the same office with, I'm assuming, well, you'll (laughs) see, this is where it gets even worse. On the special general, you'll only have four candidates. But on the primary ballot, you'll again have all the candidates all over again that you had on the June 11th ballot, as long as they run for both offices. You know what I mean? No? Good, neither do I. I mean, that's how confusing this is. It's not to say that we can't figure it out. But I'm saying even if we figure it out here on the program, the average voter is going to walk into that booth and be completely sideswiped by all of this. The average voter is going to be confused. I've got two ballots. I've got one ballot with four names on it that I have to rank, one through four. And I've got another ballot with the same names on it. Do I rank those as well? No, I can only vote for one on those. But I voted for one over here, and I just voted in June for the other one, so I don't know. I mean, what? Oh, man. This is not how we wanted to get initiated into doing ranked choice voting. I mean, we thought we had until we thought we had until August to figure all this out and that the division of elections was going to do some kind of big public outreach and education campaign. But now, I mean, who knows? We've got from now until June the 11th. That's like 12 weeks. Right? 12, 13 weeks, something like that from now. And so now the now the can now the campaigns are going to have to do I mean they're going to have to really be in 100% full on mode to try and educate the voters into how this system is going to work. That coming on June 11th you can only vote for one person and that one person moves on. And then the top 4 out of that race move on to the next race which means you'll have to rank them one through four. Oh, and oh, by the way, you'll have to also re-vote for the primary that you just voted for. I mean, wow. (laughs) 
I mean, I can't wait. I can't. I can't wait to see what happens. It's like I just want to get a bucket of popcorn and just sit there outside the voting booth and watch people shake their head as they walk out because that's what it's going to look like. A total hot chocolate mess. That's, I mean, that is kind of the whole layoff there. All right, the phone number to call on the Pivotel call-in line is 433-3150, 433-3150. If you'd like to sound off, we'd love to hear from you. That's 907, by the way. 907-433-3150, the Pivotel call-in line, powered by our friends at Pivotel and Satellite West. I want you to I want you to close your eyes for a minute, and I want you to picture this for you know for me. Now I don't know what what you like to do in your spare time. Maybe you like to snow machine. Maybe you like to go four wheeling. Maybe you just like maybe you just like hiking, or you like uh, you know canoeing the canoeing the rivers, or kayaking the shores. Or whatever it is that you're doing. But just close your eyes for a minute and picture something for me. Picture the worst kind of accident you can imagine doing any of those things. You, you fall down, a, you fall down a, 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 you know, a slide down a hill or fall down and break your leg while you're hiking. Your four-wheeler turns over on you. You, know, you fall in a crevasse in your snow machine. You get separated from your kayak as you got run through some rapids you weren't expecting or whatever it is, that kind of bad thing that can happen. And, you know, I I hate to talk about bad things, but bad things do happen to good people. And so when the bad things happen, that's when you will be happy to know that you have your bivy stick with you during those times. You don't care much about the bivy stick when the times are good, but when the times are bad, when there's a problem, When you're hurt, when you're pinned under your 600-pound four-wheeler and you can't move anywhere, or when you fall in and all you have is the gear that's on your person, or you're in that crevasse and it's a long way down, having that bivy stick on you could save your life. The bivy stick is a short-burst data device that connects to your cell phone via Bluetooth. You download the app, you connect it to your phone, all of a sudden, your phone becomes a satellite communications device. And the bivy stick has got this cute little red button on the bottom of it. You flip a little cover and you push the button and it sends out a text message and an email to whoever you designate that says, help me, I'm hurt, I need help at this location with the coordinates of where you're at. That kind of peace of mind, pretty unbelievable. And maybe it's not something quite so drastic. Maybe it's just like, again, the 2018 earthquakes when, you know, it shook the world apart up here and all of a sudden the cell phone towers were either down or they were so full you could hardly get through. And you're separated from your family. Well, you could pick up that device and send a text message or you could send a send an email to your family to say, hey, I'm OK. Here's where I am. Everything's good. I'll make my way home and I'll see you there. On top of that, it allows you to have regular aviation, marine forecasts. You've got mapping features. You can drop a pin so as you're traveling home, they can track your progress to know exactly where you're at. It is the bivy stick. And all of this peace of mind for less than $200. $199. No activation fees. Plans for as low as $14 a month for what I like to call the safety plan where you just get a few credits a month in case you need them, and they roll over and build up if you don't use them. Or you could get the unlimited plan for up to 45 bucks a month, 
And that lets you send as many texts and messages and emails as you want. So that peace of mind is important. So it doesn't matter if it's a kayak or a boat or an airplane or an ATV or a snow machine, train, submarine, unicycle, whatever it is, you should have a bivy stick with you just to have that peace of mind. You can find out more by going to SatelliteWest.com and clicking on the bivy stick there in the middle of the page. Or you can check them out at their local dealers, which include Arctic Fire and Safety in Fairbanks, South Central Radar on the Spit in Homer, Safe and Sound in Wasilla, Soldatna, or Anchorage, Radar Alaska in Kodiak, Communications North in Seward, and Lundy Marine Electronics down in Dutch Harbor. Special thank you to Satellite West and Bivy for sponsoring the show and for letting me help you be safe and get those peace of mind. That's what it's all about. All right, my friends, we're coming up on the break. Uh, Chris Story is going to be joining us in just a moment. We're going to continue here. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Our light, our guide our trusted friend. Okay, we're in the break right now. Thanks for uh, coming in and joining us this morning. Um, <laughs> this is what I love. So Harold chastises all the people in the chat room, and then he says he's looking for summer volunteers. And then he says, if he's he's looking for people to agree that his ideas are great and Brad's ideas are garbage. And then when nobody responds, he chastises and denigrates everybody in the chat room for not agreeing with him. I could see how you won last time. Oh, wait, you didn't. You didn't win last time. That's right. I forgot. Um, I could see is how you're win friends, winning friends and influencing people. So, I mean, you know, keep it up, Harold. I'm sure you'll have a huge success in your campaign this year. So, uh, what else we got here? Um, I mean, I appreciate Randy is pushing on the whole Knick River Bridge, Knick Arm Bridge. Um, I mean, I love that. I would love to see it. I think it would be a boon for the South Central area. Uh, Would it affect the rest of the state? Yes, I think it would in a way because it would allow for more expansion over onto the Knick Arm, and that would allow for more railhead expansion and maybe get the uh, Knick, uh, the the, – the deep water terminal there it would help the deep water terminal, uh, and you might be able to get some more you know stuff moved out of there and up the rail line. So I think eventually it would help the rest of the state, including the interior. But no, in the it would be a heavy lift because in the beginning it would affect most of mostly just South Central, um, you know, just mostly South Central. Um, let's see what else is going on here. Uh, new construction versus deferred maintenance, totally different subjects. Um, okay. Uh, how is the people agree with just because it's uncivil? Uh, those exam, obviously, it was over there. Um, what happened? Uh, boy, everybody's, everybody's a little grumpy today, man. Um, everybody's a little grumpy today. We expect Harold to be grumpy, but that's just because that's who he is. He's just curmudgeonly and, 
he, you know, he just wants he wants me to feed his trollness. But we just expect that. I mean, I kind of just let it go for the most part. Um, but everybody else is a little grumpy today too. Just just relax. Just relax. If you don't like what Harold has to say or Randy or whoever, you know, you can just block them. You click on that three little, you know, you can you can click those three little buttons and then you uh, or you you click on their page, I guess, and then you click on their logo, their icon, and then you click on the three little buttons and it says you can block them. That's what it is. Sorry. You could just hover over their picture and then there's three little dots and you click it and it says block. And guess what? You'll never see them again. You'll never see their comments or anything else. But I believe in free speech, so we're going to let them, you know, unless they get nasty about things, we leave them on the show because that's what it is. That's that's just how we roll around here. Um, <laughs> oh, man, he just doubles down, he just doubles down. Okay, um, I've been into Wasilla twice this year, Denali several times, nice roads and bridges. I will say, going up to Fairbanks this weekend, I really noticed the difference in the quality of roads. Holy crap, man. The Glen Highway and you know going into Anchorage and, and all that stuff, it is a speedway. And a, it, is a, it is a smooth as glass compared to the roads. And then I drove up toward – I went up and visited my folks' house up off of Steis Highway – and man, that road is, I mean, it's like an e-ticket Disney ride. Are you kidding me? The road, just the road from Fairbanks out towards Fox is just horrific. Just wondering what's going on. I mean, oof. Uh, you can't block anyone. Well, you can if it's your official, can't if you're, it's your official page, but your private page, you can block anybody you want. I mean, your official page, you can't, but you're. Public page? Your own private? Sure, why not? I'm not grumpy, says Debbie. Enjoying baking buttered buns for a dear friend. Oh, I want some of that. Um, I want some of that. Let me uh, see if I can get Chris on the line here. We'll try this again. Uh, oh, there we go. We'll, we'll get this done. Uh, Chris Story coming up here in just a second. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based. Free-thinking radio. Oh, man, my phone's freaking out. Here we go. Jumping back into it. We're going to have Chris Story in a second. Okay, welcome back to the program. It's uh, it's time. It's time for that weekly uplift. It's time for that moment in the sun where we bask in the beauty that is the mind and the positivity of Christopher's story. And maybe we'll get him. Maybe we'll get him to do two segments today. Maybe he can talk a little bit about the future of where things are going on, the passing of Don Young, and. Some other things, and then we—I don't know what he's got on his plate here. So let's go over to him here and see what's going on. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I'm on top of the world. You're on top. Well, I'm sorry that was obligatory. I apologize. I should have set that yeah. up a little bit better. I—I uh, <laughs> I know. I know. I know better than that. I should have done that. Um, so uh, I don't know if you want. We haven't talked about this earlier, but if you want a kind of commentary on 
what's going on, we'll let you do that. Or if you just want to go, if you just want to give us our life coaching lesson, we are good for either one, my friend. You tell me what your morning looks like. Uh, feel free to, well, to, to pontificate. Thank you. Wow. I feel like I'm in the deep end of the pool. I appreciate that. I, yeah, maybe we do both. I, I was just interested in a poll that I'd read. Uh, Gallup poll had done a study of, of where people feel most productive in life and, and who people like to be around. Who? So in other words, I'll just give you the results. Nine out of 10 people are more productive when they're around positive people. So what is that? I mean, what's that got to do with anything? How, how can being around somebody who is positive how can that make you more productive in life? Because I posit this idea that it's positive people use powerful words. And so people that are using words of optimism, using words of opportunity, using the wonderful words in the vocabulary of the positive create something in you or maybe help you tap into something that influences you and encourages you to become more productive or at least feel like what you're doing is worthwhile and productive, right? That's my thought. No, and and I agree with you. I mean, I think you know we could, I can, I can, uh, uh, I can uh, uh, prove that with the inverse, right? Because I've worked in places where the people there are negative. I mean, nay, I say almost the equivalent of the human e or. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. you you'd get around them. And luckily, when I worked in the office, I didn't work directly in their area. But when I would go into their area, it was like I could. It was like one of those sci-fi movies, you know, where they're sucking the life force out of me. I could almost feel it just flow out of me into this person as they're like, "My life is horrible. Everyone hates us around here, and we're all gonna die." I mean, you know, that's it. It was just like, "Wow, give me, you know, I, I know your life's not that bad. Give me some positivity here. Give me something to work with." So, I mean, I can prove it with that negative for sure. But you're right. You go around people who are positive. And I, I guess you just can't help but reflect what you see around you. And I think you can you can quickly adopt the words of of the positive people. So if you want to be more productive, you want more out of life. You, you look at the vocabulary of people that have done what you want to do, or just think about America, the idea of America, the greatness of America, this amazing country, isn't our coastlines necessarily. Yeah, they're beautiful, but that's there's a lot of beautiful coastlines around the world. What makes America great isn't our mountains. There's a lot of beautiful mountains around the world or our molybdenum or coal mines or copper mines. There's ores and things being, you know, around the world. What makes America great is the idea of America as expressed in the words of freedom, equality, opportunity, independence, um, inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I, I, I loved going to Ireland, and I feel like it was like I went home. It was the most home I've ever felt outside of this country. And I just thought to myself, and I said to Tiffany the other day, I wish we could take the idea of America to Ireland with us. I would love to I would love to live there for a year, but I wouldn't want to leave this idea of America, which is expressed in words. For two hundred and fifty years, America's been that shining city on the hill because of the words that we adopted in seventeen seventy six, because of the words that we collectively said, yes, these words matter. This is the productivity. This is the positivity that has people getting on rafts to get here, crawling through tunnels to get here. 
uh, allowing their families to be smuggled in with these these horrible, uh, you know, people, what do you call the mules? that bring Coyotes, over. right. Coyotes. Yes, thank you. And, and it's because of the words. It's because of the words. And so if you take the Gallup poll and say 9 out of 10 people are more productive when around positive people, imagine these words and the productivity of our 330 million legal Americans. Uh, that's what we need to come back to, in my opinion, is the words of liberty, the words that meant something where people would say, I will give up my fortune. I will cast my blood upon this land and to protect it. These words, it isn't just the the, the land. It's, it's the words and those ideas that are so well expressed. Um, you know, that, that to me is just that is everything that is America. And that is what brings you such rewards in this country are the words you use. Words I'll never use, and I suggest you never use, are can't afford, I'll never, well, easy for him or her, I'm not <laughs> lucky, with my luck I'll lose, ah, time's passed me by, oh, I wish I could, nah, they'll never hire me, it's not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not smart enough, I don't have a degree, uh, if only I'd, one of these days I, I'm going to, or when I retire, I plan to. So pick your words carefully. I think that's my message today. Well, that's easy for you to say, Chris, because you don't know my. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you you are right. I mean, we you know words have power, and uh, you know those words on that whether it was the Magna Carta or the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution of the United States, those words stirred a movement that was heard around the world that created the greatest nation on the face of the earth, even today with its blisters and boils and warts and everything else, still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And we seem to forget that. And we get we get caught up in this venomous and the divisiveness and the polarization that's fostered by news media and everything else, and we forget that. We forget words like freedom uh, you know, and republic and responsibility. We forget those kind of things as well. Uh, and you're right. I would much rather park myself around people who are positive, and I would rather try and be that positive person than uh, than than anything else. Because, like I said, I I've worked in offices with the human eors, and it makes for a dreadful experience. It really does. It it's it's difficult to overcome that. It's much easier if you work in an environment of positivity and freedom and uh, and and that and that uplift that you're talking about. Yes, and I think just being curious and listen, just keep an ear out for those around you and the words that they're using and, and who do you admire and, and what words do they use. So listen to the people that are above you on the ladder of life, and I do not mean politicians because that is a manipulative <laughs> vocabulary. Well, that they're is, not they're, that is all. they're not above us on the ladder of life. That is the stuff that you scrape off your shoe on the way into the door from the barnyard. <laughs> yes, but, but then again, you may wish to become an elected official, and you think, okay, well, they are above me on the ladder. They've been in office since 1973. They've been in office, you know, for the last 10, 12 years, and they're there. But listen to the words that they use, um, but specifically not politics. We'll leave that aside for a minute and just say, who's succeeded in an arena or area of life in which you would like to compete and win? You would like to be a part of it. And if you listen to their words, I can almost guarantee you they're going to be positive. You get some celebrities that will say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just so blessed to be. I really didn't deserve this or earn this, or I just, you know, they're almost apologetic. I remember watching Garth Brooks back in the 90s, 
it was before I realized he was probably just torn apart internally because he was cheating on his wife, but he was crying in an interview and just crying. And I don't deserve this. And I thought, my God, you've, you've practiced your skill. You've honed your craft. You went from bar to bar beating yourself at night with this, you know, probably having beer bottles thrown at you when people weren't happy or you sang out of tune. And, um, just, why do you mean you didn't deserve it? I didn't understand where the tears and crying were coming from, but don't look at celebrities per se, but look at people that have accomplished something or built something. And I can guarantee you the words they use are personally responsible for themselves, are positive and are powerful and inspirational. I agree. I mean, I agree. I mean, the most inspiring people, I mean, I guess, isn't that the definition of inspiring people? I mean, really, that they are positive and uplifting? I mean, those are the people. Nobody wants to go, you know, work for Scrooge McDuck. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to go to work for some guy that talks down to you or some gal that talks down to you and is full of negative and everything else because they don't, they very rarely ever achieve anything. I can't think of it, you know, right off the bat of anybody who's really negative that that earned it, maybe somebody that inherited it, but somebody who earned it, who went out there and made no- made something from nothing, uh, it's because they believed and they were positive and they brought people with them. I mean, that's the thing. You look at some of the greatest people around uh, in the history of this country and they built a great team around them of people that they lifted up with them. Yeah, absolutely. And think about the, what we've gone through over the last couple of years in the it's been, it's been going on far longer than the last couple of years. Well, let's just look at these last two years and the words that were used from top down and the words that were used for the medical community and words that are even used today. For example, Senator Sullivan is in vacation or in Florida on vacation with his family, and he had what? A breakthrough case of COVID. What does that mean? What, instead of announcing that Senator Sullivan is positive with COVID and, you know, um, he'll, you know, he's following CDC guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. His press team announced that he had a breakthrough case. And so they're using language to say what? Well, he's fully vaccinated. Of course he is. That's a, that's a, okay. So when we start thinking about vaccines and we start thinking about the words used to present and propose them, breakthrough, sterilizing, all these kinds of words were manipulated in such a way, or at least we're still being manipulated by them because we know that they weren't sterilized and we know that it isn't the breakthrough. We know that none of these things, we have to go back to the word itself and the meaning of it and not be co-opted by it and use words. If you wish to promote a particular medical intervention or something, use real words and use words that are actually foundational and fundamental and truth not manipulative and do not be manipulated by the words. We have to control the language because if we don't, then we come back to the foundation of America. What is it? It's the bedrock of America are a set of words set in stone, which we've all believed and we've all fought for families have fought for and died for. So we have to stay in control of the meaning of words and how they're used and not be manipulated by them and continue to pick our own words that we use going forward. So as not to be unduly influenced with negativity or just ceding our power to another group because, well, they, you know, they're, they're, I don't want to say this or no, speak truth, speak truth to power and understand that the words you use are powerful. So watching our words again is one of the things that we can control. There are many things in life that we can't control. 
Uh, but a couple of the things that we can control is one, our reaction to any situation and be the words that we use. And sometimes, I mean, those have to go hand in hand. Something, you know, something horrible happens, something very negative happens in your life. And you could dwell on it. You could focus on it. You could say, you know, you could speak the words of, oh, this always happens to me, or right. I should have right. known, I should have known this was coming, or, figures. you know, it figures, yeah, whatever. Or you could say, you know, that this is an opportunity, that this is just a this is just a blip. This is just a speed bump on my to wherever I'm heading. You can change how you react to that. You could change the words. And the thing is, the more you say those words of positive, the more your mind, you, you know, the, the better you feel, the more your mind. I mean, yeah. it, it literally is kind of the fake it till you make it. You may feel horrible and agitated and afraid inside. But the more that you program that positive the better you start to feel because you know your mind subconsciously, you know your mind is working on the problem and it's going to find a way to get around it and and move on past it. I agree 100%. And then keeping a bit of a log, you know, it's not a bad idea to keep a journal every day anyway. Just uh, what did you do today? How did you feel today? What did you accomplish? What, did you, what are your hopes and dreams for tomorrow? Um, and, then, and then be maybe keep a list of watchwords, you know, words that you want to use more often and just review them from time to time. And, and what a great opportunity to go back and read the uh, Declaration of Independence and read some of the Constitution. Just look at the words that the foundation of this incredible country were built on. There's not that many, and they're powerful and positive, almost exclusively positive, and, and built on opportunity and moving forward. So, yeah, I just think that our vocabulary doesn't have to be super expansive or, you know, it doesn't have to be the most elaborate vocabulary in the world, but it should be your own and it should be on purpose. The words you use on purpose are going to define your life and your ultimate purpose. I couldn't agree more. I uh, I think you're 100% right. It is Chris Story, the man from Homer, realtor, potter, PMA guru, and, of course, author of the book The Backyard Millionaire and uh, The Making of Man, um, who I guess is that, that, that's that got a second novel. It's a second edition of that coming out here soon, right? July 1. Be in bookstores July 1. July 1. Oh, man. Better get your narrator on that pretty quick. All right. <laughs> uh, it's also available, by the way, both of those books available on audible.com. Read by yours truly. So go check them out right now. They are worth the read. I'll tell you that. Chris Story, thank you, my friend. It's good to hear from you. Thank you, Michael. Have an amazing day. You bet. I'll always be on top of the world after talking to you. All right. Uh, we're back with more. One final segment with phone calls. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. And look at that. All right. We're in the break. All right. We are ready to go. I uh, just got the negativity out of my morning. Um, <laughs> Dwayne just took care of his negativity. He just added to his block list. So there you go. 
There you go. Yeah, I mean, look, guys, you guys don't have to. You know, I I leave the show open for whoever wants to make a comment, good, bad, or indifferent. Sometimes I'll engage, sometimes I won't. But if you don't want to hear it, you don't have to. All you have to do is block the individual, and then you have to worry about it. Just hover over their picture and click on the little three dots and click the block button, and then you don't ever have to see anything about them ever again. See, that's how it works. That's good. You could even block me. Of course, then you would... uh, of course, then you wouldn't be able to watch the show, but, you know, feel free. If you want to block me, feel free to block me. I'll call it my badge of pride. It's fine with me. That's that's how it works. Um, okay. Um, what else? I think I had to laugh at Anthony's, at Anthony's comment. He said, here in Fairbanks, We subscribe to the ideological concept that we want to pretend to be navigating the lunar surface. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, I remember driving up the Steese Highway from Fairbanks, you know, past Farmer's Loop there up towards Fox. Um, I remember driving that when it was, you know, when it was new. They built it all up and it was smooth as silk and it was, you know, I mean, I remember flying up that road before. Boy, you couldn't, you barely do the speed limit on that road and you feel like you're in some kind of mogul dirt, you know, go-kart track or something. The heaves and the ruts and everything. I mean, I'm just like, what happened to this road? And that's not to mention all the side roads with all the ice and the potholes and things still on them because they haven't been able to scrape that ice down from the, they've had two rains this year uh, and haven't been able to do that. But yeah, the roads are just... And then the roads driving out of Fairbanks back towards uh, back towards Wasilla, man, you had to you know once you finally once you got past Cantwell, they started to get a little better. Um, you know, there's still some heaves and some whoop de doos and everything else, but yeah, the, the the roads going into Fairbanks, woof, you know, woof, and yeah, the frost heave is real for sure. Um, I mean, it was. It looked like the you know it looked like the waves on an ocean, going from Farmers Loop to Chena Hot Springs Road exit there on the Steese Highway. I was just amazed. I hadn't been up there in a while, and I was like, "Wow, that's wow!" <laughs> you guys are, you guys are doing it. <clears throat> yeah, I guess at least the uh, I guess the the rich had uh, the the rich had changed, but. Uh, uh, the rich was was pretty good. The Richardson Highway was pretty good, but is like woof, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, smooth sailing, beautiful trip to Fairbanks. Uh, I left Thursday morning shortly after the show, and um, you know, just dry pavement and blue skies and sunshine. I was in Fairbanks by man, it was like two o'clock. It was like five hours door to door. Just a really really nice trip. And actually going back was pretty much the same. Um, I mean, just hardly, except for somebody was hauling a piece of equipment on the highway, which is funny enough, I'd actually seen them the night before in the Richardson because I'd gone out to North Pole and I'd seen this big piece of equipment. It was some kind of crane that hung out on both sides of the low boy. It was huge. Anyway, so I caught it just this, just the uh, Fairbanks side of the Denali National Park. And these guys... I had to follow it for 30 miles at like 12 or 15 miles an hour. And even when they came to passing lanes, they wouldn't get all the way out of the passing lane. So you couldn't go around them. Finally, a state trooper pulled up around me and into front of me. I was right behind the thing. 
and uh, and he pulled in there. I was like, who's this guy going to – oh, hey, it's a trooper. And I let him in there, and then uh, about three, four miles later, he he buzzed around him, and I just followed him. We just – the whole line of cars just followed him around. We just made it happen. But, uh, yeah, just uh, – anyway, anyway, great drive. Just a great, great drive um, and a good opportunity. It's because the TOT wants more money, says Representative Kevin McCabe. Well, that's true. I mean, I could see the argument that they need more money. Yeah, but that Steese, I don't, I don't think you can go more than 40 miles an hour on the Steese Highway without flying off the road. Uh, so they're going to they're gonna need to do something about that here sometime in the near future. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, man. I'd make a gazillion dollars if I could figure out how to make those roads stop heaving like that. That's all I can say. All right. Well, we're about uh, 30 seconds out uh, from rejoining the radio. And so I want to say thank you for sticking with us and invite you to call in uh, on the phone line. 433-3150 is the Pivotel call-in line. We'd love to hear from you this morning. Any topic is fair game, whether it's the Don Young, um, you know, the election for the Congress seat or whatever. Uh, even remembrances of the of the great man. Uh, we'd love to hear you here on the Pivotel call-in line, so give us a ring. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's uh, let's do this thing. Here we go. Okay. One final segment of the program this morning as we continue ahead. I have no idea who we're going to have on the show tomorrow. I think we're going to have Mike Shower on for his normal Wednesday visit. I don't know who we're going to have on yet um, in the first hour. Maybe we can get Jonathan Christ Tompkins on. I'm not sure. Did anybody watch the debate on the PFD on Saturday that Scott Kawasaki came on and talked about. Um, I was in the middle of a bunch of stuff on Saturday, so I didn't get a chance to break away to watch that. Uh, I'm just interested if anybody did and how it went. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, like to, you know, find out something going on. Um, Let's, uh, you know, so anyway, if, if you did watch that and you want to give me the highlights or the high points or what you thought, I'd love to hear what you have to say this morning. The phone number to call is the Pivotel call in line at 907-433-3150. That's 433-3150. And uh, you can also drop me an email if you'd like as well. Me at MichaelDukeShow.com. M-E at MichaelDukeShow.com. I'd love to... Uh, Love to hear what your thoughts were on all that stuff to see, uh, you know, where what wh- what you were out and where you were going. Uh, we would love to see uh, what you would uh, what you'd have to say on that. Uh, feel free to uh, give us a ring and let's, uh, you know, let's uh, let's do our thing. Let's do our thing. Feel free to make it happen. Four three three thirty one fifty. And yes, you can still go back. And uh, somebody in the chat room just mentioned it. Chris said uh, you can go back and you can uh, watch the replay 
on Kawasaki's Facebook, which is at facebook.com slash Scott for Alaska, if you want to go back and watch that, which I will probably do sometime this week. I will go back uh, um, I'll go back and, and watch it, but I just I haven't uh, I haven't had a chance yet. I, d- I did nothing yesterday. I mean, I'll be honest, I just did I didn't do a single thing yesterday. I slept in, woke up late, hung out with my wife, watched uh, TV, had some fresh bacon and uh, uh, a handmade with love egg sandwich that my wife made me and just basically did nothing but relax a little bit. After broadcasting outside in the cold for three days straight, I was ready. <laughs> I was I was ready for I was ready for something to to change. So we got a chance to get all warmed up and uh, just uh, have a little bit of relaxation after a full weekend of broadcasting. So definitely, definitely fun stuff. All right. Um, we're already starting to see the, um, you're starting to see some of the consternation coming up uh, on the uh, Constitutional Convention. There was a story this morning in the AP uh, that popped up as I, because I read some of the news for the stations uh, for the AP. And you can already see that there is a, uh, uh, there's already a little bit of fear. This is the AP story that came up. Efforts are underway to build support for a constitutional convention question that will be on the ballot this year in Alaska. Similar questions will go before voters in Missouri and New Hampshire. Now, they don't say that these are set to come up by the state constitution every 10 years. They don't, they act like somebody actually pushed this out. But anyway, critics say the times are too partisan and the country is too divided to reopen state constitutions for rewriting or amendments. A convention could open a Pandora's box on issues such as abortion with proposed changes subject to ratification by voters. The issue is whether to support a constitutional convention so far is most contentious in Alaska. Several conservative groups there, including those seeking to restrict abortion, are pushing for a convention while others are organizing to oppose the effort. So, so, so that's what they're like. Yeah, okay. So they're, they're already pushing on this uh, already. And then there's an article in the uh, ADN by Becky Borer and Dave Lee with the Associated Press that goes on to talk about... Um, that goes on to talk about it, but they rightly point to one of the biggest drivers behind the idea of a constitutional convention is the PFD. That's, I mean, that's exactly what they say. Simmering public anger in Alaska over the legislature's failure to settle the state's most radioactive issue, how big a check residents should relieve from the state's oil wealth fund, is colliding with a once-in-a-decade opportunity for political activists, the chance for voters to call a convention to amend the state's constitution. And uh, so, of course, then they went in and they quote John Coghill, who says, talking about changing the constitution is like walking around in a dynamite storage room with a lighter. <laughs> I mean, there's a picture. I mean, it was a, that's a very, very nice metaphor, John. I, I really, Or is that an analogy? Anyway, I like it. I think, you know, and I would agree that, you know, at first I was very hesitant to think the idea of a constitutional convention. I was very hesitant to open up the the Constitution um, because there are people out there who may want to make changes that I don't agree with. But the more I look at it, 
the more I look at the likelihood that this legislature and uh, these these uh, politicians really have no interest in tackling this issue, the more I look at it, the more I realize that this is probably the only way we're going to get anything done. This is probably the only way we're going to be able to actually fix this issue with the PFD. And it is, as we talked uh, last, was it last week that we talked to the gentleman uh, about constitutional conventions? It's really what the founders intended. They know times would change. They knew that things would get, you know, that, that government has a tendency to glom power unto itself. And the constitutional convention, especially at the state level, uh, you know, that happens, you know, decentennially, once every 10 years, that, that they knew that that would be the way to make the changes, to rein in the government and do what needs to be done. But we, we really, really need to be cautious when we do so. We really need to make sure that we get a good, um, a good spate of delegates and that we keep we keep some of the some of the jury mandering out of it as well but um i'm i've come around to where i thought first i thought the constitutional convention was too dangerous and now i've come around to decide that no i think i'm in support of a constitutional convention now the last time it was on the ballot in 2012 it was outright rejected by the voters, a two-to-one margin. But I think this year could be different. I think this year it could be different. We could have a bigger opportunity to make uh, to make a change, and um, and I'm hoping I'm hoping that that's so. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what goes on there. Uh, but we're running out of time. We got a phone call, so let's go to the phones this morning for the first time and see what uh, you have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Josh from Fairbanks. Hello, Josh. I've kind of come around to the same position you have as far as the Constitutional Convention, that it might be worth the risk. But one of the concerns that I still have is it's the current legislature, is my understanding, that will be picking the delegates to it. So you're going to get the Natasha Imhoff and everybody else who you think down there is not willing to, doesn't have the appetite or the incentives to fix things, why are they going to send people to do what they won't do themselves? Um, my understanding is that the election that they may suggest, but that I think that the I think the voters actually elect the delegates. Um, I will double check that for you, Josh, though, just to be sure. But even if they were, even if they were um, uh, no, uh, nominated or picked by the legislature, remember it still has to go through a it still has to go through a vote of the people for ratification. And um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm all about that. Uh, but like you said, I mean, I'm still concerned. I, I am, I am still cautious. But I have come around from being opposed to it to grudgingly um, admitting that it's probably the only way we're going to solve our problems. Don't you think? I think I'm almost there, but I'm just not quite sure if we have the tools once the convention gets started to really hold those delegates feet to the fire to solve these issues in the right way and i'm kind of still in the searching like how do you think we as the people could 
could make sure that we get the right things from those delegates in the process? Are there ways? I mean, currently we can kind of a petition and go down and raise hell in Juneau when they're about right. to right. push a bill through, and sometimes that helps. Well, I think I think we'll uh, you know we're going to have to find this out. We're going to get more details on it, and I will find out again, uh, Josh. Thanks for nudging me on this. I will find out how that process works. I think that they have to be elected. Maybe they're appointed, uh, but again, we haven't done one in forever so who knows let's find out though we'll find out together you and me all right thank you so much for coming in today folks the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free-thinking radio please love one another and be kind we'll see you tomorrow Okay, folks, got to go. Thank you for coming in. We will see you tomorrow. Mike Shower should be our guest. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Facebook. And don't forget, of all things, don't forget to check us out on Patreon. Become a member of the Common Sense Corps. Here, right here, right here. Do it. Check it out. We'll see you tomorrow, my friends. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show